0: Fast, efficient, and affordable business grade hosting solutions, domain registration, SSL certificates, and more. We also monitor and provide website security and update services, website builds, email hosting, amongst other sensational products. If you have a question about your web page or your presence on the internet in general, no job is too big or too small. Visit our website today, or better yet, contact us at blueoceanwebhosting.com.au and leave your website issues to us big ones little ones fiddly ones powerful ones the ones for the car or the truck caravan boat mobility scooter solar system in fact for any kind of battery go straight to battery central ipswich they'll even help you when you know what you need to power but have no idea what will do the job battery central ipswich 280 brisbane street west ipswich in the yellow building expert advice better batteries best prices every day that's battery central ipswich yeah. Episode 773 of the UZI Tech Heads. I'm Jason Oakley and this is Will Tomkinson. Hey,
1: Will. Hey, mate. And apparently my camera has decided that it does not want to be part of the show.
0: Cool. Yeah, lol.
1: <laughs> Stupid cameras. Don't buy cameras. Cameras are painful.
0: No, I would never have one. I don't yeah. even have one plugged into the computer.
1: What's a computer? Right. Yeah, I know. Actually, How's have you been? ever... <laughs> have you seen the uh, YouTube channel, um, Look Mum No Computer? No. Oh, he's great. He does all old school analog stuff. Yeah. And his latest challenge is he's restoring an old-fashioned telephone exchange, all mechanical relays and bypasses. Yeah. And he's making it work with a... Um, it's, a uh, it's not an Arduino. It's a... Anyway, a little single chip on board. And he's making it work. You can dial a physical phone number across like skype and it pops to a usb output which actually triggers a physical line so you can actually use this exchange live <laughs> from the internet it's so cool <laughs> you hear all the click click click, click. oh so the switches you thing. really do sounds like a giant typewriter <laughs> and uh he does um like he streams it to the web as well so you when you dial in you can actually see it and then when you pick a different selection it goes to a different piece of equipment like one might go to the phone that's right next to it so because he's got a what it calls the um not obsolete museum (laughs) and uh so if someone is walking through that phone will ring and they can answer the phone you can talk to them or it might go to the there's what what's called an infinite loop answering machine and it's literally uh, a tape head reader and just a big giant squiggly spaghetti loop of tape that just continually feeds through it so it's just <laughs> this one message that replays over and over again so it's really cool if, you, if you've got time, yeah, he does all sorts of stuff, he makes, he's made full analog um, uh, mixes analog um, special effects boards he's made a Furby organ um, that sounds scary <laughs> <laughs> that's freaky that thing he took every Furby and figured out all the different noises and notes they could make, and he locked one, locked it to one note, and he put them all onto a giant keyboard. So <laughs> there's a giant wall of Furbies that all make different notes and stuff when you play it. Because <laughs> <My laughs> they're not already are They're not already freaky enough. <laughs> uh, and the Floppytron version three has just been released.
0: Yeah, but it's not just floppies.
1: It's scanners and. And hard drives and floppies and I can't remember CD-ROMs. I can't remember what else is in. There's all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And um, what did it use? a kilowatt, kilowatt of power. That's like what my gaming system uses when it's running flat out. It uses about a kilowatt. That's that's what this floppytron uses just to make music. <laughs> 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 how, how
0: many floppy drives you reckon he's got?
1: Oh, I can't remember the top man. I think it was 100, 150 or something like that. Yeah, and like three cylinders. Yeah, yeah, and then there's um, he adds in different things if he wants different noises. Like sometimes he'll add in an old five inch floppy, or he's got some old nine inch ones he drops in there. Sometimes he's got a couple of old um, uh, reel to reels that he uses sometimes.
0: I've seen people <laughs> so, do some musical things with electric vibrating toothbrushes.
1: Brushes and F POS machines. Yeah, <laughs> anything with a, anything with a a motor or a stepper motor, basically, it's all. It's all Arduino controlled. Stepper motors are great because you can control them precisely, yep. change the speed, change the duration, you get different notes. So it's, it's actually very – Um, this, this one guy has actually written a program. It's an MP3 to uh, MIDI converter. And you select which particular thing you want to convert the track to, whether it's an FPOS machine or a scanner or a hard drive or whatever, and it'll automatically change the frequency so that it makes the right noises.
0: Yeah, how does that go with my SSD? <laughs> how much noise you know, does it make?
1: SSDs and... Um, yeah, the USB. The network cards and you know, graphics cards don't make much noise these oh, days. Oh, man. <laughs> ripped off. Old, um, I haven't seen anybody use an old MFM hard drive yet, though. No? Which is surprising, because those things sound like bloody rockets taken off. That was my first
0: off. drive. Was it was MFM.
1: Yeah. Mine was three meg, I think. Three or five. One or two. Yeah. Then my XT, back when like the entire operating system fitted on a single-sided five and a half. Five and a, half, <laughs> five and a quarter. Racking me old mate. Oh, three, three and a quarter and five and a half, isn't it? No. Or is it three and a half and five and a quarter? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I always, Still to the day, I always get them wrong.
0: It was 50-50 which way you were going to go. <laughs>
1: And then, then you know, because I used to work in server rooms too. We had a nine inch, so it's I get confused. I get my floppy fit confused. Yeah, the size of my floppy is blurry to me.
0: (laughs) And then I did um, work experience at a place that was called um, was it Coastal Computing Services. They had these huge real things, the great big Mm. tape deck thing, and you pull it out of the machine drop it over there, put another one, plug it in and click. And they did a lot of database stuff there.
1: Big BLT drive, whatever they were called.
0: So I had to do data entry for my... But I I became really good friends with one of the guys there and then later on he bought the company from the owner. So while I was unemployed, I used to pop down there every day about lunchtime and we have a chat about Commodore 64 games and stuff. (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, if you think about it, they were really just a glorified DAT drives, all they were. They were just a cassette tape. Yep. Which wasn't a bad way of doing it, because you could put, you know, you got a 90-minute tape, you could put a fair few games on there if you use a turbo loader. Yeah, yep.
0: So, they became really popular on the Commodore 64 and the Spectrum, the turbo loaders.
1: Yeah, I had to, because otherwise you'd just wait now. But for Invader
0: to... Loader was the best. You could play Space Invaders while it's loading a game.
1: Okay, that's... It wasn't a bad use of memory allocation or anything?
0: Yeah, it was on like the Commodore 64 because they had the game and everything was compressed down uh, with a compression program. There was still a bit at either at the top of memory or a bit in the middle that they weren't using. So they put a little Space Invader game in there that you could sit there and play while you're waiting for it to load and then the actual game would come up. They also had well, probably, um, a music one where it would play music, and you could use yeah. your joystick to change the different registers in the sound chip to get different sounds coming out of it.
1: Yeah, I had that one on my turbo on my turbo tape. Yeah, I had the music one. Yeah, those were good old days. Now it's funny, you know, you, the the problems you face back then don't change. Like I still remember having portability issues and storage issues, and like just trying to transfer a file across, the, and it's exactly the same these days. I want to find a thumb drive so that I can, you know, move two computers that aren't networked and make them talk to each other, or I want to make a ISO image to boot a drive you know, on a system I'm just building. I can spend four hours finding a, a thumb drive. Like, it's... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one that I actually want to use, or one I want to sacrifice. I had to find a best.
0: micro SD card the other day because Dad's got... My daughter's old um LG Leon which had like wow. eight gig of RAM on it and runs a, quite an early ish version of Android. And it can yep. still run some stuff on there. It's still still got stuff but constantly comes up with storage full, storage full, storage full. I go on there, delete a bunch of stuff, wait a while, storage full, delete a bunch of stuff, wait a while, storage full. The other yep. day right. what do you got there? It's invisible
1: yeah it's a bit hard to see because it's green but that's a holder for usbs it holds 10 usbs memory sticks there holds 10 sd cards there and it holds 10 micros on that side
0: and you still have trouble finding things
1: yeah well there's none in it as you can see you have to put it in
0: there to be able to find it it
1: it only works when you put them actually back
0: in i printed one of them and i got like half of the slits i can use because of that shitty Ender 3 that I had started printing <laughs> fine and then it got halfway along and then it started coming off the glass. So it was printing up this way and so it bends and nothing will plug into the holes where it's bent around. Mm. But yeah, I got yeah. I found I thought finally I got sick of all this running out of storage business and I was like, what if it's got a slot there I could put a micro S D in there. Smallest one I could find in spare was sixteen gigs. So I slot that in there, boot it up, go through all the apps in the... Re- I have to try and remember, how did, how did Android... <laughs> how did you go to the this menu thing, like, 10 versions ago or something of Android? So then you could transfer this app onto storage, this app onto storage. And I set up um, Gmail. Don't download any images. And only <laughs> store, like, three days' worth of emails on the phone, because he doesn't really check him on the phone anyway he does it all on the computer if he ever does email stuff so i was like "Yep, don't don't store so much in gmail and put as much as i can onto storage and he said it's going pretty good now so fingers crossed that'll fix it for a while but not every there's so much stuff you can't put any google apps onto the storage card to run from Or several other things you can, no problem. But Google's like, no, it has to be on here. And by the way, even if you don't use these twenty Google apps, we're going to force them on there. You can't delete them.
1: There are ways to do it, but yeah, it's not 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 user friendly sometimes. And
0: they got a lot of lot of stupid Google things that you you know he's never going to use Google one for storage of photos and stuff. How many yeah, Google things know. have I got? Chrome, Drive, Gmail, Google, Google One, Google Pay, Google TV, Home, Google Docs, Duo, Local, Maps, News, Photos, Safety, Play Store, Play Games, Play Music, Pixel Tips, Translate, YouTube, YouTube Music, Calendar, and Keep Notes. And I'm like, I don't use most of those, but I can't delete them.
1: Lens, Podcast, Play Games, Movie Player. YouTube music, yeah, it's just, it's it's just, it's so frustrating. And <laughs> I had an update on my Xiaomi the other day, oh. and um, you probably can't see it because it probably the green screen's going to go stupid. But my um, messenger app is square now instead of round, like when the pop up bubble. Yeah. <laughs> for whatever reason, they decided, hey, let's make that square. <laughs> Great.
0: You had some- <laughs> to. You had some spare square space, didn't you?
1: <laughs> yeah, on a curved edge phone. Yeah, plenty of square. It doesn't fit. You can't put it. Like, I used to have it sitting in the corner and it's it sat in the yep. corner. It doesn't do that now because <laughs> it's spare and won't fit in the corner. So now it sits in the way. It's like, seriously? I don't, I don't
0: have anything on pop-up. I even got sick of, uh, I use Shazam all the time because I have the radio shows and I hear something I'm like, I know the song, I know who it's by and all that crap, but I want to remember for when I'm doing my show, so I just yeah. Shazam it and then it's in the Shazam list and I can go through on my show day and go, oh, yeah, that's a good song, that one oh yeah, I heard that one on Tuesday or whatever and put that in there. But it had a little bubble thing that would be on the screen. I'm like, just, just I don't like it. So now it's in the top bar. When you swipe down the menu, you click on it yeah. and it'll uh, tell
1: you what the song is. You know what I don't like that Google's done in the latest update is they've made it so that um, if you don't use an app for X amount of time, and it's not long, it's only a couple of weeks, it removes the permissions for that app. Yep. So the next time you've got to use it, you've got to go through the the pain in the ass rigmarole of allowing permissions again.
0: You know what I I hate um, more than that?
1: I did discover you can turn that off.
0: Google constantly says stuff like, "Did you know that Bitwarden can access blah on your system?" Yes. Yes, Two days later, did you know Bitwarden can access stuff on your system? Swipe off. (laughs) Did you know? I'm like, I know. Stop telling me.
1: You actually, you can. Yeah, I discovered the other day that you can actually change all. You can change those settings. They're in security. The only
0: icon that it gives you is a ZZ, which I think means snooze it for now, but I'm going to freaking tell you about it in like an hour because so I'll have to go with your one and go in the menu and actually tell it. Stop telling me who's got permissions to what. I know what's got permissions to what because when I installed it and used it the first time and it said, please, can I use this permission? I said, yes. You don't have to remind me every day that I did that. I still remember it because I'm the one who did it. It's my phone.
1: I think some people tend to forget that they they do it though. Like everyone freaks out, oh, this app's asked for, to use my camera. It's like, yes, it's asking you to use the camera because it needs that part. Of, it's either storing images in that gallery, which needs the camera's permission to do that. You know, that's it, not or specifically.
0: It's a QR code for you?
1: Yeah, or, or something. It's not specifically just using the camera because, you know. It's sending it's it
0: like, to the government. and net- When, when it. I
1: set up my uh, Xiaomi watch, yep. it's got um it's got a like a um, a voice recorder on it so that I can, like a note taker and so I can hit hit record and record onto my watch and then when I get close enough back to my phone if I don't have it if I've got it on me it'll automatically dump it on the phone but if I don't have my phone on me when I get back to the phone it will dump the audio across um and then so the other day Google goes oh this apps requesting permission to use the audio recorder I'm like well that's because it's an audio recording program I'd be worried if it wasn't <laughs> but, you know, so it's yeah, look, I think FBI. I mean, it sort of ties in with one of the stories I've got later about the, the whole cookie thing. Like, I think there's a point where it's just the onus is on the user to know what's going on. If they don't know what's going on, don't do it. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's into the point where they're putting warning labels on on sharp things telling you it's sharp. It's like, yes, I know, it's sharp. That's literally its job is to be sharp.
0: Like Wonko, the yeah. scene in Hitchhiker's Go to the Galaxy you decide the world was crazy because they told you how to use toothpicks.
1: Yeah. The clue's not in the so name at built all. built the in- asylum. <laughs> it's so true, though. It, it, it's, I mean, it only states one thing, but like... Warning, these peanuts contain nuts. There's an old expression that says if you make something idiot-proof, only idiots will use it. So bad. I guess what's happening in society? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Dum, dum, uh, dum, dum,
0: dum. And we can't blame the lead paint and petrol anymore.
1: They can and they do. But yeah, it, it's it's just uh, like I get that you've got to initially let somebody know that this app's doing that thing. But okay, it's once it's done that thing, unless something changes in an update and the app changes what it wants to use... Then just leave it alone. Yeah.
0: Or well, tell me yeah. once every few months or once a year, that's fine. But every second yeah. day.
1: Yeah, I mean if I haven't if I haven't used an up an app in six months and I gotta launch it, okay, fine, just double check to make sure that I'm still aware of what it does. Don't just turn it but, all off. But until then I don't want to know about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's our rant of the
0: week. What grinds wheels gears? <laughs>
1: Uh, careful, family guy. So it's next.
0: <laughs> with any luck, then we might get to talk to Seth. <laughs> yeah, right. Get no, him on the not, show. I'm...
1: Come on, Seth. Uh, we watch this the show. Like, it's not like he's got much to do with it now, anyway. Other than voicing, he doesn't do anything anymore. No, no, he, he doesn't, doesn't have even time the stories No, he has input, creative input still, but he really doesn't have time with everything else he's doing.
0: Kind of like Matt Greening. he's the show yeah. you guys do the stuff and. I'll come and say hi yeah. every now and then. Make sure you don't do things I don't want you to.
1: Pretty much. He was saying at one point there he hadn't even met like nearly like two or three years went past and he hadn't even spoken to any of the other voice actors. Like he's. <laughs> like... They used
0: to do it all in the studio together. Yeah. Does he do it at home now?
1: Uh. Well, pretty much. I mean, even if he does go to the studio, the others aren't necessarily there because he used to be there like not only to do the voice acting, but he was producing and directing and everything else. So he was there all the time. So when the other ones would come in, he was just there.
0: Now when you like four shows.
1: Um, well, yeah, and he's only rocking up to do the voice. That's it. And then he goes again. So he very rarely gets to meet anybody else. Yeah. Yep. So it's all changed. Yep. I was watching a really interesting, if you want to watch, um, I didn't realize he started off working for Hanna-Barbera. He was on uh, Johnny Bravo and some of those shows.
0: Oh, right. Did uh, you see Aquitaine. the really early pilot that he hand drew family guy characters and actors? Well,
1: that's what got him the job on Hanna-Barbera. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they eventually got that followed through with, you know, Nickelodeon or whatever. But, yeah, he, he did. I didn't realise he did a lot of that early stuff. So. That's pretty cool. It was, it was interesting on, um, I think it's uh kiora or whatever it's called the youtube channel yeah you know the ask ask um you know they do the the who how the who how what when all right questions the, the google autocomplete ones yeah, it was on that it was they're actually pretty cool if you want to kill some time go and watch the, Q, the kiora um google autocomplete ones with celebrities yep. literally they just type in what um and then the name of the celebrity And then let Google autocomplete in the top five. They just put onto a list and hand it to the celebrity (laughs) and go, (laughs) yeah, they go, what, who, when, where, how, I think of what they use and why.
0: Those ones like, help, I accidentally built a shelf.
1: Yeah. (laughs) The fact that it's a prolific enough search, it wasn't some guy that's having fun with Google once. It's obviously been searched enough times that Google thinks it's actually part of the algorithm. Must be now. What <laughs> like, well, do these people like work for? I care. We're not like, oh, shit. We didn't actually mean to make that. What do we do? <laughs> we meant to flat pack it, not assemble it. <laughs> I just, I just typed
0: help by accident, and the first one is help. I accidentally built a shelf. Help. I accidentally <laughs> built a jeep. Help. I accidentally the. Oh, you know, okay. Help! I accidentally restarted the USSR. Help! I Do you want accident- to know what
1: uh, Duck Duck Goes top three? What? Help! I accidentally summoned a lemon.
0: I like that. Help!
1: Word. I help! I accidentally ate a helicopter. <laughs> and help! I accidentally memed.
0: Help! I accidentally joined the Russian mafia. <laughs> yeah, screwed if you've done help, that. Help! I accidentally memes. Help! I accidentally invaded Poland. Don't you hate it when that happens? You're just sitting there watching TV, got a few snacks and beers, and then you accidentally invade Poland. And
1: I thought I was going to Macca's drive-through. What's going on?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, maybe they got Macca's there in Poland, and then you could have some. They don't Uh, have it in Russia anymore. That's for
1: sure. They don't have a lot. Although it's funny, the the um, I was watching a a guy I watched who does stuff over there. And okay, because they have got sanctions in place, some stuff's gone up. But the thing is, the rupee is, is it rupee, rupel, whatever it is, is worth so much compared to the US dollar now that the prices, although have gone up, the rupels, inclined more than the prices has. So prices have actually gone down for the most part. All oh, right. On not stuff they've got to import, obviously, because that's yep. but like all their local, all their produce, all their locally grown stuff, all the prices have gone down because that. How they're, do we do dollar- that? <laughs> Uh, kick the government out and start again.
0: Uh, didn't we do that last <laughs> year? Or
1: earlier yeah, but I don't know. Like, all of all them, not the just don't, don't just change from the left to the right, like, yeah. get rid of all of them. That'll solve most of the problems and start problem. again. Yeah, <laughs> we well, I mean, it can't start. hurt. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? <laughs> Can it get I worse mean, than not, it is? That's what I mean. Like, the worst thing that happen is nothing will change, the only way is up. <laughs> You do you some noose? Oh, why not?
0: eBay made its biggest move yet into the world of digital collectibles with news today of a company acquiring NFT marketplace, Known Origin. The online auction company is keeping its lips sealed on the deal's value, but confirmed in the press release the deal is closed as of June 21st. This partnership will help us attract a new wave of NFT creators and collectors, said Known Origin co-founder David Moore. Origin describes itself as one of the world's first and largest NFT marketplaces, and it currently ranks number 12 on the all-time trading volume for Ethereum-backed NFTs at $7.8 million. Higher ranked, more popular marketplaces include OpenSea, with an all-time trading value at $30.43 billion, and Decentraland at $155.66 million eBay started allowing NFT sales on its site last year. With known origin acquisition, eBay has the opportunity to control a proper digital marketplace where NFT transactions can both be monitored and controlled, not just offered with the fingers crossed to hope the seller transfers an NFT to the buyer's wallet correctly. Currently approved sellers on eBay can list NFTs in the same format as a physical item and many listings today share the details of the NFT mint number and what digital wallet the buyer will need to receive the transfer post-sale. eBay's current NFT sales method also comes with some caveats, such as a $10,000 maximum, a buy-it-now model, no bidding or best offers, and a requirement that the buyer and seller be in the same country. NFTs also can't be sold alongside a physical item. So everybody who's saying that NFTs are crap, eBay doesn't seem to think so.
1: Well, Jim Carrey's just put his first NFT up on there. It's called Sun Shower.
0: Oh, nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if people are aware. Jim Carrey's not—he never said he's retired from acting. He's just taking a break. Yep. And um, and Sonic actually got—he was planning on doing it before Sonic 2, but he's like he couldn't resist. He enjoyed that character too much. He's like, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> but yeah, he's taking a break and he is doing NFTs. Yep. He's doing uh, unique artworks. Um, his first one's just gone up, and uh, oh, sorry, the, his first one that went up was um, um, was sunshine. But that didn't go up on onto this. This went up onto Super Rare, which is one of the first places that supported NFTs. Um, but he's talking about he's going to go to this eBay one. Um He's actually put a is it a tweet he put up or was that on his Instagram? I think. But uh, yeah, so he's into it. <laughs> nice. So
0: does it have like a picture of him, or a caricature, or is he just drawing his own pictures or whatever? And
1: uh, this first one, Sunshower, was kind of a uh, impressionist, um, like an impressionist version of of him. Yep. Um, it basically says he's been I've been both blessed and cursed in this life with vivid vivid imagination. And a burning desire to share my peculiar peculiarities now <laughs> and inspiration with you. This that word is so much shorter than it is to say. <laughs> this little mood enhancer is called Sunshower. I hope this NFT does well. Um what you did for me. And yeah, it's kind of a um NFT in question total Sunshower was created in collaboration with filmmaker David Boschnell. And it is a painted artwork made using acrylic paint tubes. It portrays a man in the rain which depicts the sun shower, which is described as a form of medicine with miraculous regenerative potential and a celebration of our communal light and those quality ex- exquisite moments that happen for all of us.
0: Yeah.
1: The NFT is animated, however, and the artwork gradually takes shape, beginning with a black background and sun shower text and blurred paint stripes until a Painting is fully formed. Well, that's cool. Yeah.
0: Now imagine the if you current... had something like that and it would change based on the seasons or time of day and stuff like that. That'd be cool. Not doable, yeah, well, but it'd be cool. <laughs> I
1: mean, it probably would be doable. There's no reason you could. I mean, you can literally be anything you want. Well, I'm actually just watching if you on Super air the sun showers on there and they've they've got the actual animation, it looks awesome. Um does it say what it ended up going for? So let me look here to see if it has it. End up total buy price. Um, the last bid I can see was forty-two Ethereum, which is about seventy thousand dollars at the time. Whoa! And that was just that was like a week before the auction ended. So somebody really wanted it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So I mean, look. Yes, there is definitely shenanigans going on with NFTs at the moment. Um. And until, but I mean, that was no different than when Facebook Marketplace started, or Amazon started, or eBay started. All these, and that guy who made the app for iPhones
0: that he sold for a thousand dollars, it just had a red gem on it to say you're yeah. rich.
1: Why
0: is yeah, that different?
1: Or well, wasn't it but even before that? There was that iPhone one that literally just had a gold dollar sign,
0: did it? I didn't see that one,
1: it was it? Yeah, it was a million, it was before. Um, Apple capped their store, and it was a million dollars, million US dollars. Yeah, um, that's all. It literally, did it put uh, basically a screensaver of a gold dollar, uh, like a sparkly, jeweled gold dollar sign yep. on your on your desktop? And he sold like five uh, five wow. instances of that, and then Apple went, "No, nah, hang on, there's going to be a cap." So that's when they <laughs> capped the thousand dollars. And he's like, whatever. "Well, I got my money by." <laughs> Yeah, I don't care if they cap it. I'm done. Um, so yeah, so th- there's always these you know people who wrought the system to start with, and there always will be. I mean, that's just human nature. There's always you know people who want to choose to do the wrong thing. Yeah. But NFTs used correctly um, can obviously come back in the ass and, and and backfire. But they're not
0: inherently bad.
1: They're not inherently bad, and they're not really designed as a as a, a trading pawn like. Whilst a lot of the time you can buy and sell, uh, you, you know you you might get in front by doing so, at, in, given the right m- market circumstances. then really designed more like an uh, artwork's probably a bad example because you, artwork is big in the buy and sell world. It's probably more like you know you're buying your first house. Hmm. You don't really buy it with the intention of selling it and making money. You buy it with the intention of having it. For 10, 15, 20 years, and then maybe you're in the position that you either are going to start enjoying it or you're going to sell it, but it's not really something you just buy to flip and turn and make profit on. Yeah, as we know, um, that guy who the guy <laughs> <laughs> lost what did you lose 500,000 or whatever it was you lost like on it? Yeah, yeah. Um, so look, there's definitely a place for it, and I think too, with you know, the world as as we know, not you can't necessarily go and physically be somewhere or, but there's nothing stopping an artist from uh, being world, they can be become a, see normally if you're an artist, you're a local artist or you might be a, maybe a national artist, which means you've sold artworks to like, I think you've got to have sold them to like three different States and then become a nationally recognized artist. Then to become an internationally recognized artist, you've got to have sold X amount of things overseas. So in terms of somebody getting their branding out, an NFT would be fantastic for that because you would do artwork that somebody overseas can purchase for a relatively small price. And although you may not make money, much money on that particular piece of artwork, it is now you're now an re- internationally recognised artist because somebody from overseas has purchased that. Yeah. Whereas before for that to happen, you had to find... Uh, uh, escrow company you had to find a shipping company you had to find insurance on that particular item because you didn't want it getting damaged in shipping so like to send a painting overseas what's well, it send a painting to a different i remember when i was working at the art gallery in swan hill for us to physically when exhibitions came and came through the huge job that we had to unpack pieces and repack pieces because they're not really like the artists aren't there they can't repair them if they get damaged and it might be such a extreme piece of artwork that it you know some of those pieces could have been wrapped like you might have a piece like this that's so fragile you've got it wrapped in bubble wrap like a ball like this that's loading off the back of a truck and this particular piece of art has 300 of those and inside them are balls like this. So it can take you three days to set up one piece of artwork sometimes. Yeah. So imagine packing that up because somebody overseas has purchased that and trying to get it to them logistically. You know, whereas something like NFT is perfect. You go, hey, I've drawn this thing. Do you want it? Cool. No worries. You know, It is in
0: 4K. You yeah. worked in a an museum and I worked in a picture framing business.
1: <laughs> i did do picture framing as part of that but i wouldn't say i'm any good at it but i can repair i can't necessarily make frames very well but i can repair frames pretty well <laughs> <laughs> that's where i discovered that fluoro lights actually put off uv uv which is why we actually had to have uv sleeves over the top of our fluoros ah. so we didn't, so we didn't damage the artwork
0: that makes sense
1: the things you learn when you're on the dole and you're bored i didn't i never got paid it was all volunteer work because i was unemployed at the time and i was studying at tafe and i was living 15 k's out of town and i only had a push bike so it was either come and stay in town and if i worked at, worked at the art gallery on the weekend they'd pay for my accommodation in the hotel that night saturday nice. night um or it was ride 15 k's back home and then ride back into town again <laughs> I'm like, ah, I give the art gallery a couple of hours a day. They're happy with that. Yeah, that would be a fun place to work at. <laughs> it wasn't bad, actually. Sorry, I'm choking. I'm trying not to choke on my water. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> my body's trying <laughs> the best to choke on it, and I'm trying the best to ignore it. <laughs> um, so, while well, we're still in the world of internets, remember, what was it, probably five years ago? There's this massive uh, hoopla and hoo-ha over. We must know every website that gives you cookies because you may not want them. And Pop-ups sure, the, and- website, the website won't work if you don't accept the cookies, but you still, you know, need to accept them before the website can give them to you. Anyway, so fast forward five years. I think it was about that. Anyway, the UK government has published a final response to data re- ref- data reform uh, consultation. It kicked off last year laying out how it uh, intends to diverge from the EU-based data protection rules. So, yeah, you know, the, like these were originally set by the EU, like they're, they're not not like, you know, the English government or the Australian government made these up. 2011. No, was it that long. Wow, okay. So 11 years ago. <laughs> so... It looks like they've stepped away from some of the more extreme reforms that have been tossing around, such as removing the right for human review of automated AI decisions. Um, So, basically, they're not pursuing a lot of the stuff, but there's still a lot of potentially wide-ranging amendments being announced, such as switch to an opt-out model for most online tracking, which the government is spinning as an end to cookie consent pop-ups. Um, but it raises a wider question and changes the UK's data protection regulations I feel like could still some uh, substantial differences for the rights of citizens besides other types of data processes operating the country. There's plenty more incoming from the UK government on digital policy front such as uh, the sprawling online sector bill which is currently making its way through parliament and set to dramatically ramp up compliance demands for all sorts of businesses so it pays to keep a wider picture in mind. So, the data referendum bill um, says the amendments will automatically be allowed to collect certain blah, certain institutions will automatically be allowed to collect and sell data for use in scientific research, which it says will simplify the legal requirements for this sort of processing. Uh, the data reform bill will make more like more clearly define the scope of scientific research and give scientists clarity about when they can obtain user consent to collect or use data for broad research purposes. This, rene- this removes the need for them to have, the ult- have an ultimate purpose of their research project finalised before collecting data. For example, scientists will be able to rely on the consent the person has given for their data to be used for cancer research as opposed to a particular cancer study. So basically, if you say yes to anything at all at any point in time, You've given your consent. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: I Uh, don't mind
0: if a site has got like a little strip across the top that says, by the way, this site uses cookies, dude. You're like, cool, I can scroll. Don't pop up things. This uses cookies. Do you want to accept all cookies? Do you want to accept no cookies? Do you want to find out what cookies are? Do you want to accept only the, what do they call them? The essential cookies or something? (laughs) (laughs) And Well, none we, at all. We uh, have a lot of cookies on here. Not not all of them are essential, but we put them there anyway. Yeah, they don't need he, pop-ups or OKs and stuff like that. Just tell me up the top. This site uses cookies. That's all you need.
1: Um, <clears throat> but here's the thing: so they're, they're intending to move out, move to an opt-out model of consent for cookies. In practice, this means cookies could be set without seeking consent, but the website must give the user clear information about how to opt out. Um, but what they're doing is they're tying that bill in with this um, data reform bill so that if you don't opt out of the cookies on a page, you also automatically say yes to using that data for research. Duh. So <laughs> they're going, hey, look, you don't have to worry about clicking accept all for cookies anymore. But uh, you also, unless you specifically go into the website and mark around to find the settings, are going to allow us to use your data without any hey. further consent. <laughs> so they're actually going backwards, much <laughs> like 11 years ago when they implemented tracking cookies. Even they didn't have this level of of data collection. <laughs> so they're not only winding the clock back 15 years. They're also adding another layer of sc- uh, scumbaggery to the, the cookie collection. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. All right, well, you know, I guess we'll see what happens with that. Oh, and by the way, uh, TechCrunch, if you pop up a ad saying, please remove your ad blaster before you can ad blast ad blocker before you can view this page don't autoplay an ad over the top of the button that says okay so that you because can't. I'm not going to do it <laughs> <laughs> i'm going to just close the page and find a website that doesn't give me 47 pop-ups yeah. instead
0: <laughs> hey would you like our newsletter hey would you like why don't you subscribe uh, hey why don't you join this site as well while that. you're there?
1: That's a new thing now. As soon as you move the mouse off the page and go to the, the you know, the search the bar. thing or, or that or takes that, up
0: three quarters of yeah. the screen.
1: Hey, don't leave. It's like, oh, well, freaking screw you. Just for that, I am. I wasn't going to, but right. I am now. And so
0: that you don't know, while you're viewing the page, it's silently reloading itself in the mm-hmm. background so that when you hit back, there's like 20 copies of the yeah. same page that you have to go back, 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 and eventually just... Close the browser and go, screw it.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, it's just like, why? That should be disabled.
0: That functionality should not exist in a browser that they can silently trickle reload the same page so many times that your back history is screwed so you can't get out of it.
1: I get it if you're watching a page that has live updates. Then, okay, that particular frame needs to be reloaded. The entire page doesn't need to be reloaded. And things like
0: (laughs) news websites... You're reading the front page. Oh, yeah, this is interesting. Oh, hang on. I've got to reload the whole page so that you can see updates. Well, where yeah. was... Oh, it's in the mid... I don't know. I'm not going to scroll all the way down there again now.
1: Close. Or, you know, when you are allowed to have cookies on someone's computer because they said okay, and then you accidentally click the back button on your mouse and then you click the forward button, put me back to where I was. Don't put me back to the top of the page again because yeah. you know where I was because you're tracking down. And you've... <laughs> help me help me <laughs> stop being done we're going back to GS cities again like yeah. seriously these websites are getting that bad I went to one the other day and it had like four overlays yeah and they but they were pop unders they actually popped under my browser which oh, is completely cool. useless for advertising or anything because you don't even know they're there No, they can and just then...
0: say we had this many people where it appeared yeah but it doesn't say that they saw it, it just says we showed it
1: and half an hour later i started hearing these ads auto plan i'm like what on earth is that and at some point these windows had refreshed and the new ad that loaded was a video instead of a text ad and they started playing i'm like where's this audio coming from and i closed chrome and they're still there and i'm looking and i'm looking and i like, what and i shut my video i was watching on another page and minimized that chrome and it's under that one it wasn't <laughs> even under the same page on the same one <laughs> Uh, <laughs>
0: bastards
1: oh, Internet, stop it we've, we've, We're past yes, cities, knock it off <laughs> <laughs> No wonder uh, Berners-Lee wants to redesign the internet, I'll tell you
0: Please, please do I know, right? Amazon announced <clears throat> a new effort in bringing quantum computing to its cloud At least in the long term The company launched the AWS Center for Quantum Networking, a new research effort that aims to push forward the science and engineering of network quantum computers together, both for the building of more powerful multiprocessor networks for computation and for creating secure quantum communication networks. In recent years, Amazon and its AWS Cloud Computing Unit made a number of major investments in quantum computing. With Amazon Bracket, the company other The company offers developers access to quantum computers from the likes of IonQ, Oxford Quantum Circuits, Rigetti and D-Wave, as well as other software tools and simulators. In addition to that, the company is also running two more research-centric efforts, the AWS Center for Quantum Computing in Pasadena, California, which focuses on basic science like building better qubits and error correction algorithms, and the Amazon Quantum Solutions Lab, which puts an emphasis on helping enterprise prepare for the future of quantum computing. Basically, while Bracket and the Quantum Solutions Lab focus on near-term practical solutions, the Center for Quantum Computing and now the Center for Quantum Networking focus on long-term research efforts. To unlock the full potential of quantum devices, they need to be connected together into a quantum network, similar to the way today's devices are connected via the internet, the company explains. Despite not receiving the same level of attention as quantum computers, quantum networks have fascinating possible applications. One of them is enabling global communications protected by quantum key distribution, with privacy and security levels not achievable using conventional encryption techniques. Quantum networks will also provide powerful and secure cloud quantum servers by connecting together and amplifying the capabilities of individual quantum processes. Well, the only thing about that is I think the governments are not going to like super encrypted stuff for communications because they want to know everything everyone's saying all the time. <laughs> and you remember what the trouble that BlackBerry went through and was ultimate downfall is? everything's encrypted, nobody can access. And the government's like, But we need to. Okay, here's the keys. Well, Mm. BlackBerry's not secure anymore.
1: Yeah, and I mean, the government can, you know, as long as the government's communication is secure, nobody else's has to be. Yep. You know, it's... I think they were getting to the point where um, people, like... PGP privacy stuff's becoming. I mean, there's a browser, there's an email client I was looking at the other day, you're putting on, and it automatically um, encrypts every email you send with PGP encryption. You know, you don't even have to do anything, it just does it automatically. It encrypts and decrypts it at, at both ends. So, yeah, Proton's um, been doing that for years, haven't they? Yeah, this wasn't Proton, that was just a random, like, one I stumbled across. So, it's becoming more and more commonplace for stuff to be encrypted. Um, Especially, if, well, the way the world's going at the moment, more and more people are using VPNs too. Yeah. So you put a combination of VPNs together that automatically encrypt stuff and then you add an encryption on top of that. And, you know, a quantum computer, okay, technically it can, it can nuke into 256-bit encryption in seconds effectively. Um, but the thing is, if your communication's already got 256-bit encryption and the data you're sending is encrypted on top of that, then it's... 4096, No, it's not it's even more than that. Yeah. It's some huge, some huge encryption. It's 256 times 256, whatever that is. Some huge number of um, been, been encryption, um, you know, suddenly. So I, just, I honestly don't think the government's, well, okay, the average consumer is not going to have a quantum computer, even if Amazon do get this up and running major, major corporations will use it. Governments will use it. Uh The top 3% of the population, you know, you're trillionaires, multi-trillionaires, and billionaires, they'll use it. The average punter's not going to get a look in. No. And if you do, it's going to be some crippled variant of it anyway. Um, You know, I mean, you look at the technology that, that the trickle-down effect from military through government, through civilian, like it's Yep.
0: Yeah, <laughs> It takes a while.
1: Yeah. There are a few exceptions to that. Civilians got to end up getting a better deal at a GPS because we knew how to make it work better. Um, you know, they, they kept nerfing it and we kept ending it with better results. Yeah. Uh, so there are some exceptions to that real well, but for the most part, by the time we get technology, it's it's commonplace in every station above us. You know, so I don't know. I don't think it's we'll see. I don't think it's too much to um to worry about especially not for a while it's going to be a while away even if it does take off i think given that nobody's actually got a functioning quantum computer yet (laughs) (laughs) so well at least nobody's been able to demonstrate one functioning outside of a really highly controlled laboratory environment you know with super super cooling freezing super cooling and well, that's perfectly you know vacuum sealed and air- free and
0: yeah it's like when when uh, somebody announces well we managed to do said network data at trillions of yeah megabits a second you're like yes in a laboratory with a five-foot cable and perfect conditions
1: yeah that's right exactly <laughs> yeah. so we'll see what happens but um, speaking of technology that just hasn't quite got there yet Volvo says it started testing trucks with fuel cells powered by hydrogen.
0: What is this big push on hydrogen? Even Bill Gates is like, the future is hydrogen. Forget all about that electrical stuff.
1: Look, hydrogen has its place. It's not once again. It's not a new technology. It's another old technology that's been around for a long time. It's called Brown's gas. It's a it's a, a byproduct of electrolysis. It's, it's nothing new. Um, I mean, the the Hindenburg was a hydrogen blimp like so it's not a new it's it's a noble gas we've known about it for forever um i think what the the difference is hydrogen was used to fuel internal combustion engines traditionally that that's that's traditionally how it worked it it made power by being easy it it doesn't like being compressed it likes being stored at, at atmospheric pressure so you need a big storage tank or a big bag to store hydrogen it was it's been used in military applications for first running engines and generate generators predominantly um during world war during the, during the world wars a lot of uh farmers hooked up giant hessian bags to the roof of their cars yep. and filled them full of methane but it's exactly the same principle you could have you could have also used hydrogen and put a weight on top and just pressure feed it you know, gravity feed it effectively into the system Um, So, yeah, there's nothing new there. But the difference is now they're using hydrogen fuel cells. So instead of the hydrogen powering the motor of the vehicle, the petrol motor of the vehicle or the internal combustion engine, the hydrogen is used to directly generate electricity. Uh, Now, it has a much more um, efficient conversion rate doing that. The, The end byproduct of that is water. Uh, because you're, you're com- recombining hydrogen and oxygen which uh, as you know a h2o molecule is two hydrogen to one oxygen and it creates you know it creates water so when you re when you re so you've split the hydrogen out of the oxygen um, or when you you split air and you've created split nah, you've split water and you've created hydrogen and oxygen so basically the oxygen just gets put back in the into the air and it just does its thing you end up storing the hydrogen uh or as it used to be called brown's gas um that's what they used to call it and um you now have a tank of hydrogen well if you reassemble that hydrogen back through a fuel cell with um uh, atmospheric collectors and stuff in it and it's it's, it's it's actually a very simple process. It's it's also kind of complicated. It's really weird. It's one of those things that as soon as you see it, you understand it, but it's a little bit hard to explain. Okay. Um, but it's, it's pretty simple. And then you end up with water as a byproduct. Now, to refill, you all you need to do is refill that hydrogen tank. And then so you can refill a hydrogen tank much, much faster than you can charge a battery. So whilst you're still generating electrical current, you're not doing it from stored energy. You're actually generating it on the go with the hydrogen. Um, so the problem with a long haul truck with current technology with, with, with batteries is that after a thousand miles or whatever their, their their range is, which is about, I think it's about a thousand miles, they basically have to stop at a truck stop, which then whilst they're at the truck stop, okay, it's cool. The driver's in and he's getting, you know, he's going to the toilet, having a shower, getting his meal all that. So that's fine. While it's there, they're swapping the battery pack out the truck, putting a fresh battery pack in it because you can't physically charge that battery pack in the the time is there unless you're spending the night there, sleeping overnight, refreshing. In which case, then you can you don't have to change the battery; you can charge it. The thing is with the hydrogen, though, is it allows for much more continuous operation. So a truck goes from depot to depot. It might only be, you know, let's say it's a thousand, let's say it's six hundred miles or a thousand k's instead of a thousand miles. You know that they might drive from. I don't know, let's pick, an, let's pick, you know, what is it, about 2,000 Ks from Brisbane to Sydney, I think. Right. So let's right. say about half hey? Right. I think I think that's what it is. I can't remember. It's been a while. I've got no but idea. I'm
0: just like, going along with you.
1: <laughs> are you. Or is it 1,100? I can't. It might be 2,000 from Brisbane to Melbourne. But anyway, that's somewhere in there. But let's say they get halfway and they know that that's, this is how far the trucks can travel. So you might end up having um, a depot there. So instead of them... You know, driving to there, having to wait around, recharging the truck, swapping batteries over, all that sort of stuff. They can literally get to that point. They can put the the refueler, which is basically a hydrogen um, pumping station, into the, into the tanks, pump it in. In 15 minutes, they're good to go again. So by the time you've gone in, paid for the hydrogen to start with, um, grabbed a drink, grabbed something to eat, gone to the toilet, and come back out. It, you, you're good for another 1,000 Ks. Google so, says
0: 909.2 kilometres from Sydney to Mel- uh, Brisbane.
1: Okay, so it must be nearly 2,000, 2000 from Melbourne to Brisbane then. But, um, but yeah, so it, it's... 1,776.2. Yeah, so 2,000. Because <laughs> um, you never drive a straight line. <laughs> That's the uh, way I drive. I know, right? <laughs> so you. they, um, so yeah, so this, there's the hydrogen. I think implemented correctly for this sort of situation, or for say a forklift, for example, instead of a forklift running on LPG or diesel, I could see a situation where a forklift could easily be converted to hydrogen and run that way because it's a relatively low K um, vehicle. It doesn't do a lot of K's. They do run for twelve hours at a time, but they don't go very far. It's just a lot of backwards and forward, short trip stuff. So, a hydrogen setup for something like that would be perfect, or uh, generators, or because hydrogen is very easy to produce and it doesn't take a lot of. When done effectively, it doesn't take a lot of power to do. You can you can, very you know. Quickly and without a lot of energy, you can produce a fair amount of hydrogen. Um, where a lot of the hydrogen systems are traditionally falling apart is they've tried to do what they call on-demand, which means they're trying to produce hydrogen at a fa- the same rate or faster than they're using hydrogen. That's where the systems fall apart because then you do need mass amounts of energy in, in short periods of time, and it, it just doesn't work. But when you've got a storage tank already that you're pumping out of, it's not too bad. But basically, so Volvo said that as beginning its test with uh, fuel cell-powered vehicles, um Saying the range could be it could extend as much as a thousand k's roughly. Uh, they said that refueling the vehicle takes about 15 minutes. Uh, they're they're trialing they're starting trials, uh, well basically now they're planning on trialing over the next few years, um, and then hopefully for commercialization towards the end of the decade. Uh, so the the fuel cells are provided by cell centric which is a joint venture with daimler truck um hydrogen powered fuel cells electric trucks will be especially suitable for long distances and heavy energy demanding assignments alongside hydrogen fuel cells volvo trucks which is part of the volvo group has also developed battery electric trucks so yeah so your normal ev style trucks will be your around town local delivery um maybe warehouse to warehouse style trucks and the long haul ones will be, you know, the hydrogen. And I think, yeah, there are definitely situations where if you've got your choice between the two, there are going to be benefits to hydrogen. But for the average car, mum and dad, you know, the cost of the hydrogen setup, the complexities of hydrogen. Um, and you
0: can't plug it in at home
1: you can't exactly you can't charge it at home you have to do it at dedicated charging stations which means and they're not that prolific and they won't be that prolific purely because it will not be anywhere near as prolific as an ev um so but yeah, it definitely will be a, a use case for it. the other thing you've got to watch too obviously is hydrogen is incredibly incredibly flammable. like it's it's one of the most flammable <laughs> gases um not necessarily i mean it's not.
0: That's why you have to be careful when you put it in a big balloon that's going to carry people from place to place.
1: Yeah, and then you know, um, tether it with with steel cables that create static electricity. Yeah. Um, but like hydrogen, um, you know, as I said, it's relatively commonplace and easy to make. And I've marked around making it, and it if you light the bubbles it makes, it makes a bit of a crack. It's not super explosive compared to other um gases but there is a lot of power contained in a very you know within it so you do have to respect it but because of that putting hydrogen cells and hydrogen tanks in sedan normal family cars one it takes up a fair bit of room especially to have a big enough tank to to be usable and i'm not necessarily i mean actually releasing hydrogen into the atmosphere is no no big deal just turns back into into water water molecules um so that's not the problem the problem is in that process of you know releasing them into the atmosphere if there happens to be a spark nearby um that's where you 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 run into problems very quickly so i don't yeah look i think toyota and Mazda have tried it as a family car solution i don't think it's it's suitable for that but for long haul stuff, I know that they're trying um, because obviously uh, ferries and, and um, ocean liners and all that sort of stuff have already got salt water, which is the perfect catalyst to make hydrogen. I know that a lot of those are trialling hydrogen on demand generators, so yeah. they'll they might run off their <clears throat> might run off their diesel engines for a while. Which whilst they're running off their diesel engines, they're recharging their fuel cells, right. and then they'll cut off the, the diesel and they run off the fuel cells, or they'll just use the diesels to propel the vehicle. I don't anyway. The diesels don't directly propel cruise and stuff. They're done. They turn generators, which turn electric motors, which actually makes them the perfect candidate for a hybrid because ninety percent of the system is already there. Um, but they might use the hybrid side of it just to power the you know, all the activities and entertainment on deck rather than trying to generate that power. You know? So I know that there's a, there are a lot of applications where they are already um, trialing it. Not, there's not some applications where they're actually using it, but there's a lot of applications where they're trialing it. Right. So we'll see, see how that pans out over the next few years. Hmm.
0: The NOme project is set to receive a $10,000 boost from Microsoft but let's stress before anyone gets upset. There aren't any strings attached to this. Nothing is being acquired or embraced. Instead, Microsoft employees chose GNOME to be the latest recipient of the Microsoft FOSS fund, an initiative the software giant has run for a couple of years. It set up the fund to provide $10,000 sponsorships to open source projects as part of an effort to give back to communities and projects its employees rely on in their work. The one-time enemy of open source is keen to position itself as BFF with the community-based software efforts. Linux, in particular, isn't new, of course, but neither is it entirely fake. These days, Microsoft is a key member in many of the leading open source organizations, directly contributes to the Linux kernel, and even maintains its own Linux distribution. What is the Microsoft FOSS fund? Each month, Microsoft lets its employees nominate open-source projects used by the company, but not owned by anyone at it. To be eligible, projects need to have an OSI-approved license and a way to process the funds. The nomination process is open to all Microsoft employees and interns, and a curation group, the Open Source Champs, helps to get each fund's nominees together. Some funding rounds may have a particular theme, and every funding round will have from 5 to 20 nominated projects or so. At the end of the selection process, there's a vote, and the winning projects gets a $10,000 boost, typically offered as $1,000 a month for 10 months. A senior programmer manager at Microsoft, Emma Irwin, revealed in Twitter the GNOME project is the latest recipient. Previous winners of the Microsoft Foss Fund include System D, curl, QEMU, and OpenStreetMap. GNOME benefiting from Microsoft Foss Fund is pretty a big endorsement. Not only is the project an important part of the open source landscape, as we all know it, but it turns out it's an important one in the open source landscape at Microsoft too. And what are we running? No. Hmm.
1: I still find it hilarious the company who's suing people for running a 30-year-old obsolete Windows version is head of a free open source (laughs) program. Blows my mind.
0: Isn't it ironic what
1: you think? Mm. especially given the fact that windows is linux uh, just a variant of linux it's, it's developed well, I, I, de- I think it's developed in unix but either way it's a, it's a glorified version of linux that's all it is so no, no that's
0: i'll take the 10 <laughs> grand
1: <laughs> yeah oh look I, don't get me wrong i i think especially too given that windows 11's push to being linux compatible um, probably has a, a fair chunk to do with that. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. I think if you wanna if you wanna help out the um the free open source community there, maybe you should turn you know, tune down the uh the prosecution of ancient software usage. Yeah.
0: That'd be especially, like
1: Nintendo. Especially when it was um, you know, community organizations and, and not for profits that were trying to keep costs down that were using it and come along and say hey that's obsolete software that we don't support anymore we're going to sue you now <laughs> that's not don't how get
0: community what... peoples you can go with linux now it's fantastic runs everything yeah. you don't need windows anymore back in the day you did
1: you did i mean as much as you know i remember back in like 2000 me and a couple of mates we were we were hardcore into linux we used it for everything but at the end of the day, we still had to have a Windows PC yep. because there was the stuff that we had to like, especially if given that our server was running Windows 2000 or, and even prior to that, was when it was running NT4, you had to have a Windows box. Mm-hmm. Trying to communicate, trying to do anything productive with the Linux box with an NT4 server was just <laughs> headaches <and> in pain- trouble. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. Like, uh, now I literally, actually, every time I go to my work computer and I run run up Windows of a morning, I just physically cringe. I'm like, okay. the only reason I haven't put uh, pop on it is quite literally because the the hard drive that's in this Windows system has been in about four systems, and there's literally subfolders within subfolders of data stashed in random corners on this hard drive so <laughs> I, I really like i should buy well I, I mean the hard drive's five six years old. i need to buy another hard drive anyway to put window to put pop on and then figure out how to make uh yeah, to this, to figure out where all my stuff is hiding on this hard drive that's yeah. randomly floating around there is only two applications I've tried them on my computer at home that I cannot get them to work, which isn't surprising. They're very specific applications. Therefore, the LED billboards I have at work and they're very specific manufacturer like the brand of controller card, the person who makes this controller card makes this communication software. And they don't support Linux at all and they only have Windows availability on, and I've tried on several occasions to get this to work under Linux and I just, I can't do it. So yeah. that's, that's literally the only reason I haven't really swapped those computers over to, to Linux yet is because I need... The, I'm season to do. I just need to go and get one of my little nucs that I've got floating around, put windows on it, put them on that, and then it sounds like a lame excuse, but that's like the main reason because I've got all my templating and all my everything for my LED billboards yep. on this computer, and I just I don't want to lose the ability to to write to my just my signs. <laughs> so, and I
0: just that... I just finally got my um, dev and uh, games drive. And took all the stuff off there, and then reformatted it from MTFS to EXT4, X- X- and then copied everything back. So now it's all native. And then also, since we're talking about Pop OS, uh, Nvidia driver 515 has just been released a couple of days ago. So if you want a new Nvidia driver on your any kind of Ubuntu computer, go
1: grab it. So I didn't have that problem. I bought a real video card to start with. <laughs>
0: We'll get there. It might take some time, but we'll get there.
1: The um I think that actually and there's there's something else that goes back to my early foundation days of Linux. Yeah, Running an AMD system and an A well at the time with an ATI video card, but like that's just what you did because that's just what Linux wanted. So you did that. And I think that followed with me through the last twenty god twenty plus years of just that's just what you do because that's what you know. Windows. I know Windows didn't care, but I always, in the back of my mind, had a system that was dual built boot, boot, booting, or had always intended to switch over to Linux. So I always built the system to be Linux compatible, which meant it was always going to be AMD. And, and yeah, you, you finally
0: did go all Linux.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. Although I, I do have this weird issue when I like. It only seems to be OBS that does it. When I load up OBS, because I've got my templates and a lot of my um, backgrounds and stuff on my uh, spinning disk, because it's just a bigger drive, so when you, I've got videos and stuff, on there, When OBS loads up, I don't know if the drive's gone to sleep, even though it's told it shouldn't be going to sleep, but OBS complains, it can't find these files in these folders, because the drives don't exist, and then... By the time I click apply, it goes. Oh no, there they are! <laughs> but there must just be. There's just this enough lag time, yep. whether it's the drive spinning up or accessing, or whether it's Linux figuring out that it's Win or see it's Win Windows formatted too. Maybe it's that. I don't know, but there's just something really weird going on there. But no, it's all good. I'm glad I switched over. It. <laughs> For the most part, other than these really freaky crashes I was having last week, which we did get to the bottom of, it turns out if you're running NVMe um, M2 drives, uh, you need to be careful because they can, depending on the um, the hardware driver that's running the drives, so depending on what the motherboard is and what hardware drives it has, uh, it can work perfectly fine. And then a month or two into using it, for no apparent reason at all, it'll just start crashing.
0: And then when you boot uh, up, it sets the main drive, uh, boot drive, as read-only, so you can't change anything, and then complains about that.
1: Yeah, uh, it just it just compounds problems. And if you're really unlucky, like I've heard of some stories where it literally just rips the the, the um the formatting off the drives. Uh. It just that just end up destroying them. I was just fortunate I never did that with mine. Yep. It's such a simple fix. It's, it's one line of code fixes the problem. Yep. Um, but it's it's all to do with I can't even remember the process now. But there's a, a, a standby state, but they're in with SS with M2 drives and SSD. It not even SSD. It's only really the M2 NVMe drives that affects. There's a pre-sandby state that readies the drive to go to sleep but keeps the drive active in case it's not quite ready to go to sleep yet. Uh, (laughs) Apparently, that process freezes. right? And it thinks the drive is asleep even though the drive's not. So it tries to access it. And that's why it gives you the the read-only errors because it can access the drive and see the drive. But when it tries to throw something at the drive, the drive behaves like it's asleep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, but really, really simple fix. And I haven't had any more problems, but there was a week of frustration there, I tell you. Yep. <laughs> so, anyway, um, speaking of, well, okay, speaking of nothing that we were, <laughs> the boring company, <laughs> that boring company oh. um, receives approval for expanding its tunnels to downtown Las Vegas. Um, which I didn't even know they were doing tunnels in Las Vegas because that's a whole nother challenge. That's sand. Yep. And a lot of sand um, with a whole heap of basements and stuff already in place. Yep. <laughs> but that would be a challenge because they'd apparently, according to the map I'm looking at, uh, the network of tunnels called the Vegas Loop is supposed to span 29 miles and have 51 stops when finished. But for now, only 1.7-mile tunnels are operational beneath the Las Vegas Convention Center, uh, turning what would be a 25-minute walk across the Convention Center into a two-minute ride. The system uses human-controlled Model X and Y vehicles to transport passengers, despite most previous statements about using sleds to carry cars through the tunnels. Uh, this year, CS10 has got to try out the tunnel beneath the center themselves, <coughs> while it was reported less congestion than actually walking to the center. Riders right, said they experienced traffic backups in the tunnel, which holds a maximum of 70 cars at a time. The system transported about fifteen to 17,000 passengers during the day. Um, so the most recent expansion gets the Boring Company closer to its goal of building a transportation system that spans the most popular destinations in Vegas. Thanks to the entire team at the city of Vegas, the Boring Company... Um, it was in great, had a great discussion today. And the boring company is excited to build a safe, convenient, and awesome transportation system for the city. <clears throat> so, um, so yeah, basically, you, you look at the map, and they're basically following the main street, underneath the main street, all the way down the city, and then like going around some of the more busy blocks.
0: Right. Um. So
1: they, they think the, most of the tunnel system will be operational and servicing customers from
0: 2023
1: <clears throat> um, so yeah so there's a couple of videos you can people put them on Twitter and stuff from the boring company um but they've got like breakthrough videos and stuff but you can look where they are and they're only coming up a foot below the the, the, the surface so given that they're boring under sand and only like a foot or two below the surface, they must have some serious reinforcement going on while they're boring those tunnels because yeah. like how easy would it be to just accidentally, you know, um, dig into somebody's basement or cause I'm sure that all those, you know, high quality, um, mafia run, um, uh, uh casinos in the 60s and 70s were fully um were fully licensed and and had full plans available for for viewing
0: and no (laughs) secret
1: tunnels (laughs) there there was definitely no secret tunnels or walkways or underground you know areas in any of them (laughs) (laughs) so but um yeah, I thought that was pretty cool because they're using – because they're all underground, to minimise cost in making it, instead of having massive ventilation shafts everywhere, which you have to do with regular vehicles, because they're using electric vehicles to transport stuff, even though at the moment they're driving, but they will eventually be fully autonomous, yeah. um, they don't have to worry about all the you know the huge amounts of – you still have small uh, – you know, ventilation system stuff, but you haven't got to have the big massive ventilation towers and cross cross draft systems and get the oil of carbon monoxide. Yeah, because it's just not a not an issue. So I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. But um makes you think what else they can do. If they can dig under Vegas like that, I mean there's no reason they can't build real tunnels in real locations that actually need it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Let them test it out and we'll get the completed system.
1: <laughs> well i'll say one thing about him when he puts his mind to it he um can make something happen
0: yeah definitely
1: he <laughs> doesn't just you know he doesn't just think about doing it yeah
0: thanks for listening to the aussie tech Heads show we can be found at facebook twitter and youtube email us wheeler warlock at aussie and we'll see you next time bye
1: thanks for that. bye <laughs>